You're listening to the GamesIndustry.biz podcast. I'm James Batchelor, and this is a quick update on our podcasting schedule. This episode is actually one recorded earlier this year by Rebecca Valentine before she left us for Pastures New. Next couple of weeks, we're not going to have a regular news show. Uh, this is due to team scheduling conflicts uh, and public holidays instead we've got this episode this week with then next week we've got a five games of with a special guest and then following that we'll be back with your usual weekly news show but for now i hand over to rebecca You're listening to the Game Developers Playlist, a podcast from GamesIndustry.biz. I'm your host, Rebecca Valentine. This is episode seven of the series. If you've read the site regularly, you might have seen a column we run called Why I Love, in which folks in the games industry write a bit about the games that have inspired their work. This is an audio spinoff of that idea, where I chat with developers and industry figures about the games that shaped them as creators. This week, I am delighted to welcome CEO and co-founder of One More Story Games, Gene Leggett, as our guest. Gene's a career coach, an educator, a stand-up comic... <laughs> And a developer with a strong focus in narrative design and writing, uh, works with a number of organizations, including Women in Games and the IGDA, to support and uplift women and girls, either in or aspiring to be in the games industry. And your studio has created a story-focused game-making software called Story Stylus. Gene, how's it going? It's going well. I think that's all the time we have for your podcast now. That was quite the <laughs> intro. <laughs> Well, you've done a lot, and you, you've you've done a lot in a lot of different corners of the industry. It's not it's not just making games, which is is really really cool. You know, there's a lot going on. When I when I looked at my LinkedIn profile, and I realized that I've been on the the game side of things for the last, I guess, six years and ten months, and I'm like, oh wow, that's that's not a lot of time, but it is a long time. And I never thought I would be bringing my my life coaching and my business coaching into game dev. So that's a that's a happy thing that I've been doing lately. And but yeah, I wear so many different hats, and I'm glad that I get to be all of them in this industry. And I'm having so much freaking fun. And it's really cool because you t- and we'll we'll talk about this, but you're able to take that kind of wide range of experience and turn it into mentorship and turn it into support. Um, I'm a big fan of sharing stories to help people uh, make different kinds of mistakes (laughs) <laughs> as somebody who's been doing professional speaking on and off in stand-up comedy since 2005, uh, I just, I love being on stage and I love doing the inspirational coaching. That's what I was doing way before I got into game dev. I was doing laughter yoga. Ah! Mindful- Have you ever done laughter yoga? I've not, but I love the idea. What is this? It's like tantric laughter, but you get to keep your clothes on. Um, you know, not like that other tantric stuff. I already turned your podcast into inappropriate talk. I am, this is... You never see that on Twitter. I am so clean on Twitter. But no, so tan- tantric laughter, yo- laughter yoga, and stand-up comedy, and a lot of joy and mindfulness was the thing that I that I I was the coach of. And I developed six-week programs around that for women. And then I joined our – I started at the studio with my husband, Blair, and we've been together for 24 years now, which is really bonkers. And and I sort of put all of that aside to do game dev. And I know some of the questions that you're going to ask me for the podcast, and I'm super, super geeked out to share why I am making the kinds of games that we're making. So 
Well, you've actually transitioned very nicely into kind of where I wanted to go with this. Is you, you like you said, you had this kind of career in something that was. I, I feel like a lot of the people who come into game dev, or I mean, even games journalism, we all show up from nobody. None of us set out to go. I want to be a games person when I grow up. Usually, like we came from just a, this weird variety of places. I mean, maybe you did though. But t- so tell me how you got here. Definitely did not. <laughs> I mean, I've been playing games since 1985. I was eight years old when we got our first Nintendo in the house. And when you think about that, that's for for a low income household to have a Nintendo system is a kind of a big deal, right? Like that's that's a middle class thing to have. And and I man, I always thought that if I could be a professional Tetris player, I would have been world class champion. You'd sit me in front of that thing and I would sit for hours on the same play at the fastest speeds and it wouldn't even phase me. But it never once occurred to me that there was a career making these things, right? Because that's not that's not the family uh, influence that I had. None of, nobody in my family was oriented towards the arts at all. And let's face it, arts aren't exactly promoted in schools as like desirable careers to go into. So, um, so yeah, I I played games. I I always had Game Boys and things like that, and mostly more Tetris. And, um, and then when I was 19, that's when I met Blair back in 96. And he introduced me to point and click adventures. And he was also really into open world games. He played a lot of Daggerfall. So like, I still hear the click clop, click clop, click clop of Daggerfall, (laughs) and the whooshing of the portals. But we got into like Tex Murphy and Gabriel Knight, and The Longest Journey and things like that and Mist. So I was like, oh, that's that's kind of interesting. But again, I never put the connection together of this is a career that you could go into. And when I finished my English degree. Yeah, English degrees. Woo! English degrees. um, I just I went and did an office job. Like, I don't know what the hell you were supposed to do with an English degree. Yeah. I, I was an oh, English I, degree I with web design skills and database skills. So I was better off than most people with just an English degree, like not to put disrespect on it. Like I, I value that degree immensely. And um, yeah, Blair went off and worked at EA and I just did my thing. And I was so deeply uninspired by office work that I decided everybody was like, Jane, you're so funny. So I did the comedy thing and, um, And even, I think this is maybe just how my brain works. I didn't even see comedy as a part of the arts. It was just something that came out of my brain, but I didn't necessarily see that as an artistic endeavor. And um, yeah, and then to to wrap up, because I know the story can go on and on. Um, In 2012, Blair was working for uh, Zynga in Dallas, and he had a near-death experience. We decided to come home and which is just outside of Toronto, Canada, and recover. And he wanted to start up his own studio. I was like, yeah, okay, I'll do the comedy and coaching stuff. You do the studio stuff. But then I realized we're a great team as a hacker and a hustler together. And and that's that's how we got started doing this. And it's really been fly by the seat of our pants. Like seven years ago, accelerators and incubators were not a thing um, you think about where the, the pockets of money in this industry have been. They're very concentrated. They're still very concentrated, but at least there's small pockets of money popping up and funds for marginalized developers and more accelerators and more mentors that are popping up. So, yeah, it's it's been kind of cool to see the industry grow in the last seven years. 
That's that's really fascinating. That is that is a wonderful sort of story of, of getting into this kind of wild world of game making. Tell me tell me about the studio. Tell me about one more story. Oh my goodness. Well, if you want to hear the full story, like I am on, let's see, I'm recording episode six of our podcast. Um, I have a podcast that I launched because I really wanted to, I wanted to write a book. So I thought the best way to do that was to actually write the book through the podcast. And um, it's the history of our studio, but also it's like life coaching meets game dev. It's Brene Brown in game dev, as I have been called. (laughs) And honestly, our our little studio was founded on the idea that storytelling and games should be democratized. Like we should have easier tools. And when you have easier tools, people who don't have the privilege of high highly skilled education and highly skilled technology, like heavy, heavy resource technology, that they would be able to come and create their own story-based games. Plus, we know tons and tons of writers who are crazy talented, but they just don't know how to code. So we built an engine, uh, started prototyping it seven years ago. Sadly, we prototyped it in flash and silver light. So anyone listening to this <laughs> will Aww. cry for us. And so Blair spent the last um, last little while working on getting us out of flash and silver light. It just sucks. We picked Betamax over VHS and they both are dying. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But along the way, we have... Uh, published multiple games. We've won a couple of Canada Game of, Year, Game of the Year awards for our comedy stuff. We have like a dark comedy set in hell. It's like Monty Python meets Dante. Um, we landed a number one New York Times bestseller to work with in our very first year when nobody knew we ex- even existed. Holy moly. And we've also taught over 100 children between the ages of 8 and 16 how to make narrative games. So we've had a hell of a ride and we've raised like half a million dollars from our friends and family. So that's the hustler in me. Oh, wow. Um, and we've also had some really awful lows. And so I talk about all of that on the podcast. Like you want to hear about the blackmail. You want to hear about the sabotage. You want to hear about the infidelity between two married founders. I bear it all because these are so many things that we don't show people behind the curtain unless we're successful. And I think that does a real disservice to people. So why not just show them all the nuts and bolts and all the warts and the good stuff and the bad stuff? Yeah. I'll have you plug it again at the end, but what's what's the podcast called? It's How called G3 it? Real Talk or Games Grit and Gratitude. And we're on like Apple, Spotify, Google, and the um, Twitter handle is just G3 Real Talk. Okay. I'll have and I'll have you plug that again at the end too. Sure. If people want to go off and find that. So before we before we get into a game that's inspired you too, I, I do want to give you a chance to kind of plug whatever it is you're working on now or tell tell people a little bit about one or two of the games that had is close to your heart or that you're very specifically proud of or that you feel was very successful so that we can kind of tie that into sure. a game that has inspired your work. Well, thank you. I don't know when your podcast is going to air, but I know Flash is taking down um, Flash is being decommissioned as of the end of this year. Yeah. So if you make it to our website before the end of 2020, then check out some of our games. I really am proud of Danielle's Inferno. We uh, priced it at $6.66 because, hey, you were going to hell. I thought it would be funny. <laughs> Apparently, people just don't take it seriously as like a good game. It's it's a damn good oh. game. And that's okay. That kind of gonna... weird thing where if you price something low, people just automatically think it's not good. Yeah. It yeah. It's yeah. it's clever. We really aim to have that book meets game experience. And it's, um, I call it like highbrow comedy with some like lowbrow pop culture. 
and it's it's delicious. I I do love it. <laughs> and after a year and a half hiatus, we have started working back on our our adaptation of the number one New York Times bestseller, which is um, Charlene Harris has a series called the Shakespeare Shakespeare's. It's called the Lily Bard series, and it's her novel is Shakespeare's Landlord, which we've adapted to The Body in Shakespeare Park, which is a little Nancy Drew meets Gone Girl meets Dragon Tattoo. Neat. Yeah. And, it, and very, very story focused, very na- narrative heavy. Very, very narrative heavy. And it really is. I want our players to have the experience of being able to read a book and explore the world at the same time. So think of it as a point and click novel. Yeah, and it um, that one's that one's been an interesting one to write because it it explores PTSD and sexual violence, and and I really wanted to make sure that we're hitting the right tone, and and I think it's important that we have characters like that. Yeah, yeah, that sounds really cool. I'm 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 out. excited to get back into it. That's for sure. Yeah. So I want to get to I want to go from there to kind of the focus of the podcast, um, which is a game that has inspired you in your work, um, Jane. I'm so sorry, but you have picked the Tex Murphy Adventure Games, which was very before my time. Um, so Tex Murphy, from from some reading I did before this podcast, Tex Murphy is a series of games designed by uh, Chris Jones uh, when he was, uh, as originally he was, CEO of Access Software. Um, began with a game called Mean Streets in 1989. Um, there were several more after that. Uh, these games were adventure titles centered around the titular private investigator, Tex Murphy, um, who is also portrayed, this is wild to me, is portrayed created live action sequences by Chris Jones himself. Uh-huh. Um, this is very funny. Um, there were So there's a number of titles that came out throughout the 90s, um, and they stopped for a few decades um, because Access got acquired by Take-Two, and then it changed his name and then it dissolved. So Access Games doesn't exist anymore. Um, but uh, Jones, actually, I found out, he recently brought a bunch of uh, veterans of Access Games back together, uh, made a studio called Big Finish. Um, I, think this, I think this was in 2012. I didn't write that date down. Uh, but they're working on a new Tex Murphy game called The Poison Pawn. Uh, it, it did miss its play. It was supposed to be uh, released in late 2019, and it's missed its planned release date, so I don't really know when that's happening now. Um, Makes but- me feel so much better. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, Gene, tell me about Tex Murphy. Like, what was your first encounter with these games? Um, I want to say that the very first Tex Murphy game that I played with Blair was, I think it was the Pandora Directive. And... I can't remember where it is in the order of the sequence because I'm not I'm not such a nerd that I have to know what order a game comes in. And right. then Under a Killing Moon was really great. Um, They're like so he's like a private investigator. So it's each game is it's, like its own kind of contained mystery. It's its, it's own like if you contained... read Nancy Drew out of order, it's not a big deal. Exactly, exactly. And and what I love about it, I think this was this was even before I considered going into stand up comedy, is I loved the wit right? Tex Murphy is witty AF. Um, He's this sardonic private detective. It's set in futuristic San Francisco. Of course, there's flying cars, which it's, it's, I think it's 2050 San Francisco. I do not think we're going to have flying cars in 2050, but who knows? Who knows? Our companies, you got 30 years. Let's go. That's right. That's right. (laughs) And, um, and I just really enjoyed point and click games and Tex Murphy in general, because I liked the the pacing of them, so I don't like real-time games. I like turn-based stuff. I don't want to be put on the spot. I want to be able to just relax and try to figure out a puzzle without that incessant intensity of time. And 
I also really loved how much emphasis and focus that they put on snappy dialogue, right? So you as a player, you're interacting with those NPCs. Those NPCs are brilliantly written, brilliantly acted, because like you said, everything is like live action. It's a, I think, I don't know if they did it in Unity. It must have been Unity. Uh, might have been Unreal. Uh, so they've, they've created this world, and then you've got these live action people. And it's just, it's so awesome. And I'll tell you, um, Rebecca, when we did our Kickstarter back in 2015, which failed, by the way, and I'm totally, I am over it. Um, but when we did our Kickstarter, I had reached out to Tex Murphy, to Chris Jones himself, <gasps> um, because we had, um, I can't remember how that went about. In 2014 was the first year that we really got going as a studio. And, and I went on a, a tour. We, we had some money. We had done the friends and family raise. And I wanted to do sort of like an on-the-ground boots listening tour. Like, is the game engine like the one that we're building going to appeal to writers and screenwriters and game dads? And, and one of the people that I met was Kate Edwards, which everybody knows who Kate Edwards is. And then Kate's like, well, let me know if you want me to introduce you to anyone. And like, are you kidding me? Can, can I, can, would you kindly introduce me to the following people? So she introduced me to a bunch of people like Megan Geyser, who used to be the, the CEO of her interactive Nancy Drew Games. And so Megan said the same thing. Who can I introduce you to? And I think she introduced me to, um, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on his name. I'm such a jerk. Um, Mr. Xbox, not Bill. Um, somebody else. There was somebody else. Um, and so I was getting introduced to people that I never would have had a chance to have met. And then somebody says, who's your dream? <laughs> who's your dream connection? I was like, um, Chris Jones. And so Chris was so freaking amazing. I took a screenshot during our Skype video and it's, it's still in my precious screenshot folder. And, and we just chatted for 45 minutes about narrative games and, you know, why we built our game engine. Our game engine was built because of the inspiration from the Tex Murphy series. I loved playing Gabriel Knight. I love those ones as well. But to me, my best and favorite games other than Tetris is Tex Murphy. And I love the idea that in our game engine, an eight-year-old could recreate a Tex Murphy-like game without a heck of a lot of effort. And we've we've taught them how to do that. Um, that is definitely one of the shining career highlights of my last six and a half years. That is an incredible story. This, I mean, this is a podcast about games that have inspired your work as a developer. I don't think of all the wonderful stories we've had so far, I don't think we've had anything that has been such a very direct inspiration as as this has been to you, like to the point of getting to meet the creator of these games. What so what what were some of the specifics um some of the specific things in the Tex Murphy games that you you were kind of pulling out and like using as things that you wanted to recreate in your engine? Uh okay, well like our engine is very much focused on on narrative and and really like let's just take a step back from that. It's like what is it focused on? No, it's focused on storytelling. It's driving the player's experience by that idea that details matter, times matter, interactions matter. And and how do those build into that that experience, that storytelling experience of the world? And when I think about the Tex Murphy adventures, it feels like every environment 
adds that flavor and flair to Tex's personality. He's always got some commentary about the space that he's in, um, about the puzzles that he's solving. And, and so that's how we tried to, to deconstruct storytelling was from the perspective as like, okay, if we were going to make a 2D non-animated, non-live action video, like live action would be a dream. And I do think I, I do think that with time and resources, underlying money, um, that we could actually make it easy for people to do those kinds of games in our engine one day. That would be like the goal, to make a full Tex Murphy adventure game using the technology that an eight-year-old could learn. And um, yeah. Oh, and before I forget, so because we'd had that conversation with Chris... When we did our Kickstarter, I emailed him and I said, you know, we had such a wonderful conversation and you loved the concept for our game engine. Would you mind doing a Kickstarter? So you can actually find the Tex Murphy um, Kickstarter video, his endorsement of us on our YouTube channel. And he was such a really, really kind and wonderful man. Um, Yeah, like just... He's just, he's amazing. And and you know what, I the, I think the other thing that really inspires me about not only the series, about how he shows up as a developer. So he doesn't, he doesn't live for making these games, right? It's like these games are inspiring for him, but that's not what drives him. Um, if he just did like sequel after sequel, people would buy them because they are really funny, <laughs> smart games. But he does them when he feels inspired to, then they go gangbusters at it. And... And I just love his commitment to his team and his family. He said, you know, I don't ever want to do crunch. I don't want to. Games are not worth burning out my company for. And and so I find that very admirable. And I wish, I wish that we heard more about leaders like that, the quiet leaders that are doing such a great job. So that's also another reason why I really love that particular series is because of the, the respect that I have for him as a developer. Wow. It is it is really fascinating kind of the way you describe him especially when you sort of look at look at the history of those games and you see you know like a, a series of them you know kind of back to back every couple of years for a while and then this massive lull where I don't I don't really know I mean I, I did a little bit of research but I don't really know what he was doing during that time and then he came back he decided he wanted to come back yeah. in like 2012 and take his time to work on this other thing and I I've never heard of these games before but I'm I'm very curious what what does a game what does a game look like when you created it, you know, way back in the 80s and 90s under under restrictions, right? Like the fact that it was, you know, kind of point and click and live action is cool. But it also, you know, th- there were a lot of restrictions, and a lot of things you couldn't do with games at the time because the tech tech wasn't there. But now there's like tech like do you do you sort of model it off of this old thing? Or do you do you try to do something new? Like, what do you do? What does what the game look like in 2020? They definitely have streamlined their UI from when they first started. Um, like when you go back and you look at one of the earlier games, you're just like, ooh, that that definitely has that retro feel to it. As as do all games set in that time, right? Of course, of it's, course. Um, but the building blocks are all still there. They're, they're so amazingly familiar to each and every one of us. You know, when I look at some of the games that Blair plays, so I play a lot of mobile games mostly because when I'm done my workday, I'm out of my office. No, thank you. I'm not... I might pick up the Switch and I might play something on the TV, but for the most part, no. And I don't like games that have complicated UI, that have a million and one pieces, that I've got to do all of this resource management. I just want, okay, I'm talking to a character, I'm figuring out the timeline, I'm figuring out the puzzle, I get to explore the world. Keep it simple, stupid. 
And, um, and I, I wonder how many people have forgotten those basic principles. And if you keep it to the story, then to me, that's always been the driving factor is story comes before everything else. You were talking earlier about making this engine that was so simple that, you know, an eight-year-old could could figure it out. And that's that's sort of a fascinating idea to me, especially when you talk about it in conjunction with, you know, maybe making it someday able to incorporate live action elements. Because I remember being in, I don't know, like middle school, whatever, and the teacher would say, okay, you have, you need to do a project about this thing you made. Here are the, you could do like a poster, you could do a PowerPoint, you can do a video if you want. And I remember doing like these very silly videos with my friends where we like acted out scenes from books or you know whatever we were doing and i'm i'm thinking about that like that that in the context of a game like what if you could make a little narrative game with like video for a project and you know take that to school and show it off a couple of years ago we were asked by a local library to come in like would we come and have a, a desk at their their book day or whatever it was and we're like yeah. sure I mean we live for that stuff we love being in the community and so and this library was fairly new that particular community had loads of money because they there was a casino in the in the, the county and so that library was loaded up with all the maker nerd things that you would totally love like I'm talking um like audio booths and green screen booths so you could do video recording and they were one of the first places that had 3d printers and laser carving like they had all this stuff and i'm walking around this brand new state-of-the-art library going wow can you imagine if oh my gosh we could get kids to do live action how do i incorporate this into the engine and I still think that at one point in the future, so my whole family is deaf. My father, mother, and sister are deaf. I'm hard of hearing. And the one thing that I have yet to really see in video game representation on a large scale is having either mocap or live action actors who are signing fluently. And so in the back of my mind, you know, four or five years ago, I was thinking, wouldn't it be cool if we used our engine at, at, the, at the point that we had the capability to do the integration of video, because video is like pretty high um, space requirements. I would love to be the person that spearheads that. And I, I have a game in mind that I have wanted to do for a number of years. I think it's been four years since I came up with that concept. Yeah, I can't work on that until the other games are finished. Um, but it is an integration of using videos and sign language and, and really making games far more inclusive because not everybody has the mocap budget, but live action integration. Sure. Why not? Yeah. Anybody can turn on a camera. Yeah. You know, film someone doing something. Yeah. Whether or not they'll be good at it. Well, Hey, you know what? There are a lot of games out there that are of questionable quality. So, um, (laughs) I said that. I did. I am a horrible meanie, meanie genie. No, well, no, it's 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 like fair. It's true. I mean, and and even even beyond just you know, we're joking about questionable quality. Like, not everything in a game has to be like absolutely one thousand percent, ten out of ten perfect. It's it's okay to to try to shoot for something and do your best. You know, there are tons of developers out there. So I've been fortunate enough to, because of my professional speaking background and and because I'm just so very vocal, I've been invited to speak around the planet. Like I actually circumnavigated the globe in one trip, which was really amazing. 
and for somebody that not a lot of people know. And so this idea, you know, I talk to game developers around the world, and there are people who put out really high quality stuff, and they're just not seeing the return on their investment, either their time, money, or resources, right? And they're, they're just like absolutely gutted. And then you see these, these projects of people who've literally just come out of school and their project hit and it's a massive success, but it doesn't have the same fidelity as something that has been labored on for years and years. And so it doesn't have to be about quality. It's about, are people going to enjoy it? Do you have something that people would like to buy? And yeah. so just... We're seeing ma- that right now, aren't we, right? Yeah. Uh, with, uh, I, think, I think Among Us is a really good example. I mean, when this goes up, it'll be months later. Maybe that won't be the big thing anymore. But like right now when we're recording this, Among Us is a game. And it's, it's, a, it's a good game. Like I'm not trying to like rag on it. But it is like, this is not a AAA endeavor. This is not like shiny water quality puzzles, you know, mocap. It's, it's some little guys running around a yeah. spaceship. Yeah. But it's, it has just exploded because that's what people want to do right now. And like AOC and her record-breaking Twitch following. Yeah. Um, this is, I, I think at the end of the day, and what I love about the story about Among Us is it was rediscovered two years later because somebody yeah. started streaming it. And my hope is that when we finally get out of Silver Light and Flash, that we can, uh, <laughs> it's okay to laugh, Rebecca, it's okay. Um, no, I, I'm cry laughing. I'm so time. sorry that it's, it is a pity laugh, but I'm sorry that it's a pity laugh. <laughs> but, you know, I want to, I would time. love to remake two of our games in Unity because from a, from a content perspective, they are stellar. Like Danielle's Inferno is a stellar game. And people who played it that year said that this was like, for them, it beat out Civ Five as their game of the year. They loved it so much. I'm like, you're going to put us in that same category? Holy shakes. Um, I, I love the games that we make, but at the same time, you know, maybe they'll get rediscovered. Maybe a couple years from now when Charlene's game finally comes out, maybe at the end of next year, that um, they'll rediscover the other games that we've made and said, oh, hey, how did we miss these? Do you know why you miss them, listeners? Because I sucked at marketing four years ago. So that's why you haven't heard of One More Story Games or Danielle's Inferno. Hey, if Among Us can come out of nowhere two years later, I mean, anything's possible. Yeah, yeah. And and I just, I love stories like that. I love stories like that. And, um, you know, there are people who remember back in the days when apps, fun, goofy apps on phones were just like a fairly new thing. Yeah, people made hundreds of thousands of dollars in making like fart emulators. So it doesn't have to be high art to make money. Or a flappy bird. <laughs> So you you really have to, um, I think in order to be happy as a game developer, you have to stay true to your heart, right? There's there's tons of money to be made in games. And, um, you know, on my podcast, I was talking about money laundering. I won't go into it here. But, you know, there's, there's tons of like really interesting air quotes, ways of making money in games. Or you can follow your heart and hope that you've done it right with the marketing strategy and the community engagement. And so that you can make games every every five years, every decade, and people will be like, oh my god, it's a Tex Murphy game. <laughs> and um, that's, that's the impact that I hope to have on people. That's a really beautiful sentiment. I, I would normally like try to end on something that lovely, but I do I do kind of want to pull it back to Tex Murphy one more time before we wrap things up. Um, you know, you've talked very lovingly about these games and you have talked um, about 
kind of your your career and this focus on storytelling and narrative design and wanting to make it accessible. Um, if I if I am just kind of an average your, your average Joe developer, like you know, ga- game developer Bob or whoever, um, <laughs> and I and I I don't know what that means. Bobby, Bobby go- with an I E with a little heart. <laughs> Sure. Um, and, and I'm going to play, I've never played Tex Murphy before. I've, I've never touched these games before. Um, if I'm going back, to, if I'm picking up one of those games today, what are what are some of the lessons that I should be pulling out of it about storytelling and narrative design and just game design in general? Um, well, I think it's, I think that the Tex Murphy series, and, and I would go to the most recent one if you want something that has like fidelity of graphics and things like that. What's the what's the most recent one? Uh, oh, gosh. Thank you for putting me on the spot. I don't remember. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> most, re- most recent. Most recent. Um, I'll, I'll cut out the question. I'm yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd say that if you were to go back to the most recent game of the Tex Murphy adventure series that you would find that they've been very intentional about how they progress character or how they progress players through the game, that it's not all about driving people through, I guess they call it the cattle shoot of like, you must finish this quest, you must do these things. It's this open world of curiosity and play. And, and I'd love to see more developers approaching design from a place of curiosity and play I'd love for developers to incorporate more dark humor and and wit and not always to my my one concern about where we're going as a as a species as the human species is that we are too focused on appealing to everyone and it's okay to have really smart content because people who are not as smart as you would like them to be let them rise to the occasion and you can have little in-jokes in there and let them go and figure out what the in-joke is. And we don't always have to dumb things down for people. Um, let them get curious, right? Build your game around curiosity and, and incorporate that into the narrative, into the design, and into the look and feel. Give them something that leaves them wanting more. Are you going to play the new Tex Murphy game when it comes out? Hell Yeah. Heck yeah, heck yeah. I'm, I'm, listen, I'll be, I, I, I think we played the first one as soon as it came out that night, we were on it. And it was just a fun thing to do again. Um, you know, with the Gabriel Knight series that was done by um, Roberta and Ken Williams, you know, they're, they're iconic in our industry. It's just, I, I want more from my games than just walking around a world and picking stuff up. I want a deep love for those characters that will stand the test test of time and then I'll remember them for decades. Thank you so much for introducing me to Tex Murphy. I am now going to be like, I I never, this never would have been on my radar otherwise. And now I'm going to be like watching for whenever there's more news about this series. I I really hope that it's aged well. It's been a few years. (laughs) I feel like when I go back to things, I'm like, oh, that's a little bit, hmm. But you know, he's, he's, he's brash and he's um, snarky. And, and sometimes you just need a little bit of brass and snark. <laughs> Jean, thank you so much. Uh, this has been the Game Developers Playlist. We'll be coming out with a new episode once a month, which you'll be able to listen to on all good podcasting platforms, alongside our weekly news show with the rest of the games industry about this team, and a second monthly podcast from my colleague James Batchelor called The Five Games Of, where he interviews industry figures about five of their milestone games. Once you find us on a good podcasting platform, consider subscribing so it'll let you know whenever another episode appears. And you can and should get your daily dose of news and insight into the world behind games at gamesindustry.biz. Thanks to Julian 
Villarreal for the music you heard throughout this episode. And Jean, thank you so much for joining me today. Jean, tell me, where can people find you and your games and your podcasts and all your stuff? Oh my gosh, you can find me on Twitter. I am prolific on Twitter. It's at Jean Leggett. Our studio is at the numeral one more story games on Twitter. And if you really want to have a little Brene Brown life coaching game dev experience, head on over to G3 Real Talk. And with every episode, there is actually a personal inventory list of things that you can think about as your takeaways from the podcast. Well, I don't have one of those for this one, but I hope I... (laughs) I'm gonna have to come up with one now. Anyway, excellent. Go go follow Jean. Um, go follow One More Story. Go play some good games and have a great week, everyone. Thanks. Take care. Thanks again. <laughs> <laughs>